Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Jeremy Scott, the voice of CinemaSins. Hello. And Barrett Scher, writer of Music Video Sins. Hello. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about some trailers and about some small movements and movies that we love. But uh, you know what? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! We're dicks! Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! This trailer that has been playing on TV a bunch of times uh, uh, that I cannot... I can't get around how these movies keep getting made, but Gods of Egypt... (laughs) Um, every time I see a movie like this, I'm like, are they just, are they just trying to make 300 again? What is the deal? Cause it, it seems like they do this a lot. Like there's a lot of these movies that come out that are trying to be 300 again. And 300 is now a 10 year old movie. Um, and, uh, nobody has been able to do it. I remember in 2011, there was a movie called Immortals that came out that was from the producers of 300 and it looked just like 300. Yeah. Gods of Egypt is, it looks like 300 because Gerard Butler's in it. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's the same thing. He's yelling. He's being Gerard Butler. Um, the, the, you know, there's another <laughs> Scottish mo- Egyptian. Yeah. Scottish Egyptian. Yeah. It's a, he's, it's weird. How does he, how does he get, he's, he's like a chameleon almost in these roles, <laughs> right? Um, but, uh, but like the, you know, there was another one, Pompeii, that came out a couple of years ago that wasn't, re- it wasn't really 300. It started off that way. It was kind of like Gladiator. Gladiator's really the one that really kind of started all that. But, um, but the one thing that I notice about all these movies is that they always have that yellow gold CGI tint to it. Yeah. What is the deal with that? That just, it's <laughs> like every single movie has to have that, have that in it. And even like, even movies like Watchmen, you know, have those scenes in it where there's like a, you know, there's just like a giant gold CGI structure that shows up in the movie. Uh, it's almost like they've done some sort of marketing research and it's like, people really love that gold color. Let's put that in everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, it so, also like, reminds me of the, those movies with, uh, shoot the guy from avatar where they he fights against titans you know, class oh of titans. yeah yeah exactly yeah it's it, that goes along with, with it too those are the i mean they're all the same movie they, the swords and and sandals epic yeah basically yeah, um, you can throw troy in there there's a bunch of movies like that exodus yeah. gods and yeah, yeah yeah and and uh and and then it, it, they start they start kind of blending in with all the you know, the religious Easter movies that they start coming out with this time of year now, because they're all trying to be passion of the Christ. You know, the, that's another, I mean, we talked about this on the last podcast about Deadpool and how uh, studios will find something about a movie. And then they will be like, all right, we need to repeat these five things. And this will be, you know, so the crucifixion was gold. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jeez. I'm glad you said that. Not me. And uh, exactly. It was gold. Again. <laughs> it was gold. It made three hundred million dollars at the box office. It was gold. Um, the, the that's the thing, though. They they don't look at why that movie was successful. It wasn't because it was religious, you know, in general. It was just because it was well marketed and it was, you know, it was advertised as that thing that oh, all Christians got to see this, you know, even though they don't really. Um, um, but yeah, then you, when you, when you start putting in stuff like gods of Egypt in your title, and then you have all this like sci-fi fantasy stuff and everything, it starts blending in with all the other like Easter movies that come out. And that's like, man, everything seems the same all at once. Yeah. That gods of Egypt. I mean, hasn't it looked like a turd from the first frame you ever saw? Yeah. And it's, it's a wonder un- it got completed. Yeah, and it's unfortunate too because the director Alex Proyas has done some movies that you know I've enjoyed you know in right. the past. Um, but uh, yeah, what is the deal with that? Yeah, what is the deal with these movies? Who are the ad um, wizards that came up with yeah, that one? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that's my little rant about uh, movies that look the same, and uh, we're going to get into some other trailers. Barrett, why don't you take a take it away? Yeah, so I saw a huge dearth of trailers before I saw a Deadpool, even more so than normal. And two of them stood out to me for very different reasons. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys about. So one was uh, Hardcore Henry, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is kind of like 
for for people of a certain age, old uh, video games, the first person shooters started with this game called Wolfenstein 3D, right? And then Doom, and then Duke Nukem. If you guys remember Duke Nukem, oh, this, yeah. Was, yeah. this was kind of that type of thing that eventually ended up with Halo and, and things like that. And so this is a movie shot in entirely in the first person uh, from a guy that's been uh, killed and dismembered, it looks like, and then put back together by his researcher wife. And anyway, the conceit actually is really interesting. And, and it, it looks like the visuals are really interesting. And I think Jeremy said the same thing. I got the spins, too. Like, oh, I, I got it's it's a cool concept at first. Uh, but I don't think I could handle it, even for, you know, an 88 minute something I like that. I definitely will not be able to watch this movie. Just I was hardly able to watch the trailer. And I feel bad saying that because I do kind of like the idea. Yeah. I, I'm completely different from you guys on this. I, I don't like just shaky cam for, for shaky cam's sake, even though I think in sometimes there's exceptions when the action's so good that it doesn't matter, like in Paul Greengrass born, movie, born movies. Um, I just said porn movies. Yeah, the the Paul Greengrass porn, porn movies. movies. Lots of shaky, awesome. <laughs> Lots of shaky cam in those in those pornography scenes. Um, but uh, like uh, I I watched this trailer and I was immediately on board for it and uh, and the especially the shot of him jumping into the armored truck or whatever and blowing away all those people God, and everything. Awesome. It's yeah. kind of like I guess you know I I don't know how people are are talking about this movie but it's kind of like robocop with found footage or something like that it's almost <laughs> like that um because that's what it reminded me of immediately when his wife is in there and saying we you know we reconstructed you and everything i do think the line there's that line at the beginning of the trailer that always makes me laugh because it's so awkward is like it's like they're trying to get your technology <laughs> just it just makes me laugh because it's such an awkward line but uh i am i'm down with this man i really am and i have a feeling that as long as because because this is cut into a trailer and it's kind of like how the deadpool you have a little you worried a little bit about deadpool being an all break the fourth wall movie or whatever i have a feeling that if they do this right where there's some breaks in the action uh, you yeah, won't notice to. that as much because in the trailer yeah. they've cut it all the way down to its you know most you know most exciting points. So I am completely down with this movie. I can't wait to see it. Well, I'm hopeful about it. At least. Again, I think I like the idea. I'm just I it gave me a it was a physical reaction. Like it almost made me dizzy just from and maybe like you're right. Maybe it's just because the trailer was cut down to just raw kinetic action um and it, you're right if there are lulls maybe it'll be more tolerable for me but i, I do love the idea um and i want it to succeed succeed yeah well, it's yeah it's it's at least a departure from the normal which you know i guess you got to give credit for <laughs> the other thing uh that the other trailer for very different reasons that i was not intrigued with was the brothers grimsby did you mm. guys uh, have you guys seen the trailer for this yeah it's uh, it's Sasha Baron Cohen. And what really gets me about this particular trailer is that it goes back to Sasha Baron Cohen's great accomplishments as Ali G. And then they say, here's Borat. And then here's some completely generic British comedic spy action thriller persona that should logically follow that up. And it looks horrendous. It looks like the least funny, least intriguing uh, movie I've. Yeah. Well, do you guys think it, it looks attractive at all? I don't like. I didn't like it, but I will say the audience that I saw it with when I saw Deadpool laughed a lot. Um, but I've never been a big Sasha Baron Cohen fan, so I just thought that was the reason it didn't appeal to me. But it sounds like it's bigger than that. Well, and I feel like that's probably the problem with a movie like the brothers Grims Grimsby when you, when you're trying to market it in the first place is, is uh, how do we sell Sasha Baron Cohen to, uh, to everybody? And yeah, they do this really disingenuous thing where it's like, remember Borat? He was in that. And, um, and it's, uh, and that, that's exactly what, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's incongruous to what you see later in the trailer where he's just a buffoon, you know, yeah, and everything. A lot of cube jokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's some moments in there that I think are funny. And I and I think even if you're in an uh, if you were in a theater where people were laughing at it and everything, they're not going to go see it. I don't think they're. I don't really don't think they're going to see it. it. Doesn't seem like a movie that's going to be a big hit, but I could be wrong. Um, I don't know. It just looks lazy to me. It looks. 
really all the jokes just seemed you know sucked the venom out of my balls. Yeah, okay, yeah. We we've never gone down that road before. Right? <laughs> yeah. What was the? What, there was one. What was it? Uh, it was a Chevy Chase movie where they did that. Um, was it? Was it Caddyshack two? Where they did it in um, City Slickers two for sure. Yeah, uh, he didn't. He's looking. Oh, yes. He gets poisonous something on his. And he's like, "Suck my ass! You have to suck my ass." Yeah, there was some Chevy Chase movie, and I can't remember it right now. But but it, the guy was like, "You got to suck out the poison." And he's like, "Is there any money in it for me?" <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we've seen that before, and and there are a lot of just yeah. I mean, it's stuff like yeah, you, the Ukrainian Ben Affleck and stuff like that where. The jokes are, you know, the jokes are. It, it kind of reminded me of how Pixels was, where uh, Adam Sandler's like, uh, you know, calling people Gandalf and and whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, name calling like that is just, it's just, it's yeah, it's sophomoric. Um, Which is why we do it on the Sins videos. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, that's. I mean, yeah, it doesn't look funny. That's is, is the bottom line. Yeah. yeah. So that's all I have for new trailers. But you guys wanted to talk about uh, uh, all timers and, and kind of the best trailers that you've seen, right? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting conversation and, and one that Chris and I have probably had a dozen times over the last 15 years. But uh, Chris, why don't you start us off? Okay. I, any mention, any talk about best trailer of all time always for me comes back to Dark City. Uh, which we talked about, we you know we briefly talked about Alex Proyas a minute ago. Alex Proyas did that movie. For me, there's not one trailer during the entire time that I worked at movie theaters that I watched more than Dark City. I I would find excuses to try to put that trailer on anything I could just so that I could watch it when I started the movie. And um and uh, it's the just, Lion King. Yeah, the Lion King. <laughs> um uh yeah, so like the 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 thing is is that it starts off just like your your normal average everyday you know science science fiction fantasy type movie or whatever but it looks really cool and uh, and, and it, you know it just it's the way it builds up to the point where the music the music and the editing and everything just converge to this like amazing uh, apex and uh, you know and when we're talking about uh, trailers. There's not much you can do to really <laughs> describe them. Um, to, to, but just go and go find it on YouTube and watch Dark City trailer. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, it's great. The easy answer for me in this debate is always, you know, Alien because it's such a famously amazing trailer. But yeah, let's be honest. I was what four when that trailer would have hit. I didn't see that trailer like in a theater or experience it the way like a typical. I'd rather, for me, for my toss outs in this discussion, I want to talk about just you know mine that I saw that I was like, whoa, that's really great. And I know I think you like this one too, Chris. But the uh, the Michael Bay produced uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, um, so good. With the snapshot and that creepy noise that keeps yeah. repeating. And of course, the, yeah, and, and the movie doesn't live up to the trailer's hype at all, in my opinion. Oh, no. But I, I was similar to you with Dark City. I would, when I knew that trailer was on a print, I would stay at the window and watch it just because it was so great. So creepy. Yeah. Um, Barrett, do you have any? Yeah, there's there was one movie that I literally went to see, not knowing anything about it besides completely pushed by the trailer, and that was uh, Jarhead. Back oh, in, uh, Jarhead's great. Jar- that is one of the best trailers. Yeah, it was it was wild because it, you know, it started off with the typical uh, smartass Jake Gyllenhaal and the kind of jumpy CCR or something like that uh, background music, and then it switches. Much like the movie does, actually, to this like more psychological, I guess, and and set to Kanye West's "Jesus Walks." Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, get, it gets real moody and everything, and gets very intriguing. Like it wasn't, you know, action packed. Actually, when you go back and look at it, there's a lot more action in the trailer than there is in the actual movie, right? Um, and then the the final uh, shot with Jamie Fox just going "Hoorah!" Yeah, it's just. Banish. He's like, I love this job. <laughs> I think every day that my that I'm in the core. Oorah. Yeah, that that's a a great trailer, and and it and it brings up a point about trailers is that it's a lot of times it's the music that really sets something uh, into you know, oh, yeah. and 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 the, and that one's you know Kanye's Jesus Walks, and it just goes along with it so well. Um, another one that I always this is almost 
purely because of the music going along with it. And it's a movie that's completely forgotten today is strange days. Uh. Um, um, Ray Fiennes is in it and, um, it's got a bunch of people, Juliet, Juliet Lewis and, uh, Tom Sizemore Angela and Bassett's An- Angela that. Bassett's in it. Yeah. Um, but it's another one that just builds up, uh, as it goes. It's, um, it's, uh, mm-hmm. got this, it just starts off kind of like, okay, well, this is the premise of it and everything. And then suddenly this, this, this just really ramped up music starts up, especially when they start talking about it's the end of the millennium and all this other type of stuff. There's all this celebration. But once the, once the music comes in and everything, it just goes into just the stratosphere of this, like, just a hyper-edited, crazy-looking movie. And I'm like, I've got to see this, even though the movie wasn't all that good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Catherine Bigelow directed that movie. She did. Um, she did. And, um yeah, yeah. Um but uh but yeah, that's another one that I, I actually one our, our our friend Mike uh who might be listening to this podcast. Um uh, I remember once uh he came upstairs to the projection booth and uh I was sitting there like a- actually physically putting a, a Strange Days trailer on a, on a movie and I was like it's like I just have to do this. I have to show you this trailer and that's basically what I did was just put a trailer on a movie so he could see it. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, just you know played it, and I was like, I was like, doesn't that look awesome? And of course, it wasn't awesome. Yeah, yeah. Another one I remember really loving was the the first full trailer for The Dark Knight. Yeah, where it opens yes. with the Joker's voice and kind of some eerie music, and you see that shot of Bruce with his mask off in his apartment, and then you see him on the building in Hong Kong, and it's, uh, it just builds really well. And of course, the Batman Begins had built so much goodwill. Um, but the trailer really was the first glimpse we got at what, you know, uh, Heath Ledger was going to give us with the Joker and, and totally sold me on him, uh, before I ever saw the movie. Yeah. Do you feel the same with, uh, Leto's, uh, Joker for the Suicide Squad? No, I actually don't. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. Like I, I'm interested in seeing it, but it's not one of those things where it's, where it's like, man, this is, this is going to change the game. But of course, we're getting all these stories now about how Jared Leto scared the cast and stuff like that, and it's like sent him dead rat presents and shit. Like, yeah, I mean, and I, I, well, I, I, and you got to wonder if that's something that they've started doing to market the movie more than its real stories that are coming out. You know, yeah, yeah I mean, um, I, I'm still open on Jared Leto's Joker. I think he he may kill it. I just don't think I've seen enough in the trailers to sell me as early as the Heath Ledger stuff did. Right. It, and I think that's, that's, that nails it. It's not that, you know, we don't think he's going to be good. It's just that we haven't seen enough and it hasn't really gotten into our souls yet um, as something that we think is going to be great as of yet. Right. And I'm no, I'm a big Batman fan. I read a bunch of Batman, but I'm no like Joker purist. You know, I don't, I love Jack Nicholson's take. I loved Heath Ledger's take. As long as he seems genuinely psycho, um and in pursuit of chaos um you know i'm i'm open to any kind of look or you know voice or what have you yeah uh barrett do you have any other trailers that you were thinking of well look at it the other way because i was thinking actually about the dark knight rises mm-hmm. oh yeah because that was a really terrific trailer uh with you know uh, almost the the same type of chronology as you were saying for the the dark knight is this you know single note uh you know, very uh, somber and everything starting off in in the beginning and showing kind of the downfall of Batman with little intersperses of uh, Anne Hathaway. And then, you know, it builds to this crescendo, which is really, really terrific. And it, it makes is. you just think it's going to be the most goddamn epic thing you've ever seen. <laughs> and it's the uh, it's the opposite of the feeling that you had walking out of the Dark Knight. Right. Like, I just saw something that was even better than I was expecting. And it's it was completely different for me for the the Dark Knight Rises. I don't hate the Dark Knight Rises. It's got lots of problems, and it's nowhere near as good as the other two. But uh, I probably enjoy it more than the average person. But it nowhere near lives up to that trailer. I thought that trailer was excellent. What, what, what do you guys know of a, another trailer that like completely hyped you up for for the <clears throat> excuse me for the wrong reason, and you felt well, like yeah. completely let down? Well, like the Matrix trailer. I, I think I said this the other day when oh, I yeah, recorded yeah. a different yeah. podcast, but uh, I went and saw that with my buddy Josh, and it was on whatever we were seeing, and we didn't know anything about The Matrix. We just saw Keanu Reeves and running on walls and machine guns, and we were laughing. 
we were laughing at how bad this movie was going to be. And that's why we went to see it when it came out. And of course, it's my favorite movie of all time. You know, uh, also on the same thing, and this is not really answering the question as it was phrased. I don't think like, uh, like a, a trailer that got us in the theater. Although, um, the, we've mentioned a couple like strange days here and, and I, there's another movie that I like is, I mean, I actually like this movie, but stir of echoes has a great trailer too. Just set to, oh, yeah. a, set to a, I think it's a cover of paint it black. Um, but, um, but like the sixth sense along the lines of what Jeremy was saying with the matrix, another 1999 movie, I, I thought this movie was going to be stupid. I really didn't think it was going to be good. And especially considering in 1999, you had that string of horror movies that were all coming out and they were all in the If you did a trailer package, it was always the sixth sense stigmata and stir of echoes. We're all on the same thing all the time. And you know, they're in stigmata, especially not a very good movie at all. Um, but, uh, but the sixth sense, I remember, I remember all summer we were like, what is this kid whispering about? He's whispering the whole time. It's so bad. It's going to be so terrible. And I was actually shocked the day that I came in. I think it was a Saturday. Uh, I had missed the Friday or whatever Friday opening and it was selling out. I was like, people came to see the movie for based on those trailers. Oh my God. Now, I mean, this is, I mean, this is unbelievable. And then I found out, Oh, the movie's actually really good. Yeah, another trailer I remember loving, modern trailer, is the first social network trailer with the yeah. like, kids choir doing a cover. Was it Creep by Radiohead? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just remember that told me everything I needed to know about the mood of that movie, and um, I love that movie. So Yeah. You know, when it reminds me also, now, I, okay, now here's, and Barrett, you know this one very well because we saw this movie together. Um, the trailer for Catfish got me... <laughs> into <laughs> got me into the movie uh i he was catfished you he catfished me indeed it, it, it's <laughs> an ironic trailer um because it sets up like it's some horror movie and i told yeah. i told barrett it's like there's this for foreboding farm equipment outside when he goes <laughs> to the house and i was like oh my god he's gonna go into something that's crazy here and um and then I saw the movie and I was like, oh, man, is that what this movie's about? Oh, this is so disappointing. So I, think I was, it was literally our, like how we sounded after after we walked out. Yeah. Oh, my God. I thought this was going to be some creepy. Well, it was creepy, but it wasn't creepy in the way that after you watch the movie, you're like, you know, it wasn't like that. It was more like, oh, eh, eh. <laughs> um but that's that's one that got me in i was like i would just wrap me up in that trailer because it's so mysterious and everything and and then you know oh okay so this girl pretended to be another person <laughs> you just ruined the movie <laughs> yeah yeah did you know Spoiler what alert. yeah if any if you don't know what fucking catfish is about by now <laughs> Then, then you shouldn't be on the. You shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Well, yes, no. I mean, that's the joke. It's like you can't spoil that movie after five seasons of a TV show, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I could probably come up with a bunch of other trailers, but they all have the same kind of uh, reasons for for liking them so much, and it's usually because they start off slowly and then they build to this thing where there's a great music along with it and everything. I don't feel like they do that much anymore. Um, I don't feel like I've watched a trailer that's been breathtaking in a long time. Uh, like those that I saw in the nineties and everything. And a couple that we, you know, we just mentioned that were past the nineties, but, uh, is that what you guys are feeling or is it just that I'm jaded now? Um, I mean, I thought the Hill Caesar trailer was just a grand slam. Like, and if I hadn't heard so much bad about it, when it came out, I would have seen it by now, but um, I thought that first trailer I saw for that was uh, as good as any I've seen maybe in 10, 20 years. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, I don't really, I mean, I'll have to watch that trailer again because I don't remember that having that much impact on me. Um, um, but you're right. I do think it's a completely different art these days and it's a, a completely different uh, reasoning behind the footage and the cuts. Well, the cuts, yes, there's so many edits to these things we were talking a, a few 
episodes ago, we were talking about the Star Trek Into Darkness, or uh, the new Star Trek movie, and uh, yeah. how hyper edited it was, and it was just like you know after that little pause for for some humor, it was just bang 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 bang. bang. <laughs> like, oh, some of that is probably cool, but I have no time to actually like focus on it and like process it and everything. So uh, unless you you've got somebody that's parsing it out online to say like. This is the screenshot that shows this planet. This is the screenshot that shows the Enterprise, you know, running into the planet or that kind of thing. And just it's it's too much. Yeah, you almost get the sense that when they're on set, um, they're like, oh, yeah, that shot we just got is a trailer shot. Like, (laughs) it's almost like it's part of the process now. The next thing that we're going to be talking about is small moments in movies that really don't have much to do with the plot, but they are so great. They're things that sort of bring you into this movie in a way that you, you know, that really sells it for you and everything. I'll give you a small example in star Wars where, where Luke goes to the death star. Uh, he finally, he finally hits the death star. He makes that, that perfect shot. And then there's that little breath, that sigh he, he takes, uh, really sells that moment for for that you know for that movie if it's not there it's still a great movie but that really just puts it on a different level for me uh when you have a small moment like that i'm so excited about this discussion because i have like a list of 12 of these things and i think we're all going to surprise each other and remind each other of great little small moments but um the first one i want to throw out is from another of my favorite movies ever and it's that hunt throughout october scene where Sean Connery goes in to meet with the political officer in his quarters to discuss their mission. And as the political officer is reading scripture from a Bible he's found in there, it pans in on his mouth and he's speaking Russian. And then it pauses and slowly pans back out and he's speaking English. Yeah, Um, And it's just a fantastic way to transition and sort of acknowledge, yes, okay, you're going to be hearing English from here on out, but they're still speaking Russian. Um, And it's just one of those little moments. And I could probably list a dozen moments in that movie that are bigger and I love more, but that is, is so key, I think, even though it seems unimportant. And amazingly, that is not, has not been copied relentless, relentlessly. Uh, right. For me, that's that's just perfect. I mean, uh, Tiernan did that again with the Thirteenth Warrior oh, later. I love that one too. That's on my list. Yeah, the Thirteenth Warrior does that exact same thing. Uh, and and I I thought you know you you would think that something so simple would be something that people would do more often because a lot of times you're just sitting there going, how do they know English so well or. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. they, they have this hard time of, of deciding, should we should we play this in the actual language and put subtitles or should we have them just speak English the whole time? And then with something like that, so simple, uh, it tells you exactly what's going on. And I, yeah. I love that moment, too. All right, Barrett. I could I'm actually excited to listen to you guys talk about this because there's, there's just a wealth of things that uh, that you guys see that I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about. The thing that, that immediately came to mind when Chris brought up this topic is in pulp fiction it's in uh the the scene where mia wallace is overdosed and vincent vega is is on the phone driving her over to eric stoltz's house you know he's saying you know i'm, I'm coming over here and the guy's saying i don't know you prank caller prank caller and he gets to the actual house and he pulls in you know he, he runs through the yard and everything and then he leaves mia while he starts dragging her in. he leaves her on the lawn <laughs> and they have this conversation. Like, obviously, he drops her, and uh, Eric Stoltz like, I don't like you. Why are you bring some OD bitch over to my house? And yeah, I wouldn't do that to you. And uh, Vincent Vega has this moment where it seems like it's entirely improvised, where he's like, you know who this is, who this woman is? This is me, Wallace. And if you uh, don't help me, then I'm going to be forced to be to call uh, Marcellus and uh, tell him that you let her die on your fucking lawn. Okay, come on, let's get a house. Yeah, I and love that too. <laughs> yeah, John. And it's just completely, it looks like it's thrown away, but it, I love that part. Yeah, it's either, it's either improvised or, or it was, it's, it's uh, like a take that wasn't the greatest, but it comes out awesome. <laughs> because, out <laughs> right. Yeah, it comes out awesome because that's exactly how, how people would be in that situation where they're they're trying to come up with the right words and everything. And and yeah, it's beautiful. It's a great scene. Um I have I have a few more as well written down. Um I, the the one that I emailed you guys about um is in the departed. 
um, where Jack Nicholson sees these priests over in a restaurant and <laughs> and he starts berating them about the, you know, the molesting kids and stuff like that. And uh, and uh, but, uh, you know, the priests are like, you know, like, you know, trying to be really calm and, and being priests and never get angry and all that other type of stuff. But Jack Nicholson ends up calling them a bunch of cocksuckers before leaving. And the priest reaction is so genuine. It's like, oh. He's like he's like appalled that somebody would say cocksucker to this guy, and uh, and and it 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 just makes me laugh every time. And and when that movie is on, like I will stop whatever I'm doing to watch that just because his reaction is so genuine to it. You don't see that very often. Usually, they would just make the priest, you know, like kind of like let that slide off his back or whatever. But this guy is absolutely appalled that somebody would say it and it's awesome to me yeah that's a great i love that movie and i've seen it probably 50 times and you, you could probably find 20 or 30 small moments that help seal that that movie um i love the scene with leo in the first time we see him in the uh, psychologist's office where he holds out his hand and he's talking oh, yeah. about how his hand never shakes and mm. and you can't I'm always amazed when I watch that scene because his hand doesn't shake in that scene. Yeah. I can, I always hold my own hand out and I can't go a half second without shaking. And it's just, it's such a subtle little way to underscore what he's actually saying and what he's proving about his own character. Um, but that's one of those scenes that I'm always like, I got to watch the hand not shaking scene. Yeah. Now, everybody that's listening has put their hand out and seen if it's, if it shakes. I don't think it's possible. I, don't, I mean, there are times that I've wondered, I wonder if they somehow froze the frame around his hand, but the rest of it was live action. Like, it's so amazing to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, and yeah, you're right. That one, that movie has a lot of just small moments. There's like, there's another one where, where, uh, you know, Frank pulls out the hand in the Ziploc bag or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and DiCaprio is looking at it and he, you can see the conflict on his face. He, yeah. he thinks it's horrifying, but he can't show that it's horrifying. Right. And, uh, and it's just, everything's written on his face during that, during that thing. And I, I it's just another great moment in there. Yeah. Everybody's great in that movie, but he's, I think the best performance Leo, he just has so many different things he does, you know, with that character. I love but, that movie. No, uh, but Mark Wahlberg was the best because he was the only one that was nominated. Um, yeah, was. Screw that. <laughs> Jeremy, do you have another? Um, I do. Um, one I wanted to bring up is uh, from Waterworld, which mm-hmm. is not a good movie, but I love it so much. Uh, <laughs> but early on when he's uh, escaping from the atoll or whatever and stealing his ship back, um, there's a moment where he jumps on the boat and the the, the big arm i'm not i don't want to call it a bow or whatever whatever it is i'm not a boat guy but uh it comes swinging and it's going to hit him in the head and he's not looking at it it's behind him and he just ducks down right when it gets there and it goes over him harmlessly and it, i've always loved that moment because it's like look how one this guy is with his ship like uh yeah it's such a cool way to give me some character development in just like two seconds i love that moment you know, I'm going to I'm going to sort of piggyback on well I don't know if you really want to call this piggyback, but I'm going to stay on a boat here for this next one. Uh I wrote this one down for the whole 9 yards, which is not an entirely successful movie. <laughs> oh, I hope it's the one that I want to say about that. Movie. Oh, I know you're this has got to be the one, but um Bruce Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry are on a boat and <laughs> and uh Matthew Perry is upset at him and everything and Bruce Willis throws a beer to Matt Perry, Matthew Perry hope you know just like here have a beer or whatever but Matthew Perry completely doesn't acknowledge <laughs> the beer at all and he just keeps he keeps yelling or whatever while the beer flies behind his head <laughs> it's one of the That's funniest great. things i've ever seen in a movie i agree and it's right it's right after he killed like fingers or whatever like he kills uh michael clark duncan right and it shocks matthew perry's character and he's just standing there in shock and the beer goes flying by him and i agree it's one of the funniest moments in any movie ever yeah it, it, it's like the beer goes <laughs> flying by his ear and he's like why did you kill him you know <laughs> and you're just watching the beer's trajectory during this whole thing i i don't know how they captured that moment but it's movie magic it is. It really is great. It's so funny. Okay. <laughs> All right. Jeremy, go ahead. Um, okay. I, I don't know why I picked a bunch of small moments I love from movies that I don't think are good. But um, did you ever see Disclosure with Michael 
Douglas? I did. I did. Uh, so, I haven't seen it since it came out. Okay, so I only I only saw it a couple of times, but uh, I'm I think that's baked on a Michael Crichton book, and I'm yeah. I was a big Michael yeah. Crichton reader. Yeah, um, it is. And so, regardless of the plot, early on, um, he gets exposed for having had an affair, and I think there's even implication he might have like assaulted Demi Moore. And they're sitting there with his wife, and she's just heard it for the first time. But there's a room full of people, and it's like it's a deposition. Um, and she just plays off like she knew about it. Um, she doesn't bat an eye, uh, and it's just that. It's just a small little cool moment. I'm not saying that wives who've been cheated on should like support their husbands, but in, in that moment, she refused to be, they were trying to surprise her to get a rise out of her. And she basically defied them uh, by just saying, yeah, you act like I didn't know about this. And um, it's just a very, very, very cool moment to me that uh, for some reason stands out as one of the only things I remember about that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, I have uh, another one um, in Gross Point Blank. Another movie, by the way, that could probably be put into our you know underseen, under underserved movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Gross Point Blank is uh, is just an amazing movie. But uh, the scene where uh, he and uh, the La Poubelle uh, other assassin guy that's in the neighborhood are in his former home that is now a gas station. Um, he, they both like, while the, of course, this is a, of course, a movie cliche. The clerk is sitting there playing a doom arcade machine or something while listening to Ace of Spades. Um, (laughs) and, uh, doesn't, doesn't see all this stuff going on in the thing where they're shooting at each other and blowing away all the merchandise and all this other type of stuff's going on. Stuff's flying all over the place. But uh, there's a point where the um, where the the bad guy assassin or whatever runs out of the gas station and Cusack runs over and he's still behind one of the aisles and he see what he looks up at is a microwave that's got a bomb in it and the first expression that Cusack has on his face is just uh, don't quite understand you know he <laughs> I don't know what's going on here yeah. but just before he starts running out of the gas station there's that that moment of the acknowledgement that, Oh, it's a bomb and, <laughs> and, and, and runs out of the store and then make sure to get the clerk to come with them and everything. But that one expression of when he realizes it's a bomb is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's such a great performance. And it's completely underrated the way he offhandedly references himself being a serial killer if you, yeah. to be a professional killer to everyone. Uh, who will listen, you know, professional killer. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the whole, the, I think the whole movie is just delightful. Like all the way through it, it's delightful. The, um, the, um, there's a lot of these little moments in there where, um, you know, he, he meets with Dan Aykroyd and, uh, uh sort of like a, a fe- like a, I don't know what it is. They're just out in the middle of, uh, the, the city somewhere. Uh, and they're, they're trying to, exp- you know, they're trying to, I don't know. He's trying Ackroyd's trying to build this union or whatever. He's trying to make a union of assassins or whatever and all that. Ackroyd is like is like no 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 popcorn or whatever. And John Q's like like yeah, whatever. Because <laughs> 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 it's exactly what everybody else in the audience is thinking. You know, it's like yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I fully endorse Gross Point Blank if you haven't seen it. I I probably haven't seen it in five or six years, and this conversation is making me want to watch it again, but I've I love that movie. Yeah, and there's a there's a great little turn by Alan Arkin in it and everything you know, the as his psychologist and everything. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, the, there's just a lot of great performances in it. Um, and uh, Jeremy Piven is in it, and um, yeah, it's it, it's a movie that I can watch probably. You know, I could I can I've probably have seen it thirty or forty times. It's one of those. So, you guys ever see Tin Cup? Yeah, I love okay. Tin Cup. Okay, so. I'm a big fan of Kevin Costner sports movies for the most part because um, they always tend to be good. Uh, but Tin Cup is maybe my favorite uh, outside of Field of Dreams. And uh, one of the small moments I love, there's a lot in this movie that I love, uh, but uh, he makes that bet with Don Johnson where <clears throat> um, Don Johnson's like, all right, you're seven iron, whoever hits it the farthest. And they, he ends up betting his car on this bet. Cause he's so, he just finished around with just his seven iron. He's a badass with the seven iron. And so he hits into the driving range, like 230 yards with a seven iron or something, which is impossible. 
And then um, Don Johnson slow drops his ball and aims, but then slowly turns to he's pointed down the road. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and there's this want want music that plays, and he hits it, and the ball's just bouncing and bouncing, and you hear a little you know jangle of the guitars. My favorite part about this whole scene is as it pans over the reaction of Costner and all his hick Texan friends. You hear one guy in the background go. Well, shit, he hit it down the road, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it just kills me every damn time. That's <laughs> exactly what would happen. Somebody would say that, and it's just so per- – it sells the entire scene, I think. Oh, man, that movie's so good. And I don't remember it being a big hit or it's it, or it being something that people really talk about today. But that so. is a great movie. Yeah. Um, uh, it uh, Ron Shelton who did Bull Durham with him earlier, yep. and then uh, and then did that. Both of those are just great. Like you could watch both of those back to back as a great double feature. Yeah. Um, Tin Cup also. I'm not going to ruin the ending, but it also has one of the best endings to a movie yeah, I've ever seen. It does. Oh, it sure does. Uh, I love it. Yeah, because um, it's you know it's so completely off of what we we normally think of as a happy ending. Yeah. Um, the uh, I have another one from the Dark Knight. Uh, we've talked about a little bit of the Dark Knight today, uh, but uh, but it's another great moment is when uh, Joker comes in to the mob uh, meeting, and um, and uh, he's he's basically you know laid down what he's going to do and all this other type of stuff, and um, uh, at the point where he he finally gets up and he shows that he's got you know all these bombs or grenades or whatever under his coat. Um, you have the one guy comes up and he's like, he's like, you think you can just come in here and steal from us and blah, blah, blah. And Joker's like, yeah. (laughs) And they just cut on to the next thing. Like it's, it it doesn't even consider it. It's like a surprise they asked. Exactly. Well, from his perspective, it's just factual. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Another Joker moment I love in that movie is when uh, Two-Face wakes up in the hospital and sees the Joker there, and the Joker sheepishly says, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I die laughing. (laughs) Um, Well, sticking with funny parts um, from one of our favorite movies, Sneakers, which we discussed at length Mm -hmm. before, um, there's a throwaway joke at the end that kills me every time where they get back to their their headquarters and one guy goes, I can't believe we made it. And another guy's like, I can't believe we pulled off the greatest sneak in history and can't tell anybody. And Dan Aykroyd goes, you know, and I can't believe tomorrow's Thursday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just such a normal reaction to the few days they've just been through. It's like, I don't remember what day it is. Like, I just love that line so much. I, uh, I enjoy the fact that after we, we mentioned sneakers and that, you know, little scene or, or whatever, undersold movies or whatever, you've had a lot of people coming on Twitter going, yeah, finally watching that movie. It's yeah. great. You know, yeah. and everything It's finally getting, I'm hoping, I'm hoping like, you know, it gets all of a sudden this weird renaissance just based on what we told people to go do and watch yeah. the movie and everything. Yeah, suddenly people are like watching this 24-year-old movie and going, yeah, sneakers, why didn't this get more play? I saw a guy on Twitter say, um, today I learned that sneakers is the uh, really early prequel to Winter Soldier. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty funny. It also caused us to reference Dan Aykroyd twice in one podcast. Yes, it did. I will go back to Hunt for Red October. Another part I like in Hunt for Red October, which also deals with Russian and English language, actually, is after Alec Baldwin and the American crew have gotten to the bridge of the of the Red October, and they're kind of just standing there, and this is blinking light, and the, they have this conversation um, with translation, uh, but at one point, he says something to uh, his first mate, or whatever he's called, uh, XO, Sam uh, Neal, and he's like, uh, Bakaroo, like he thinks he's a cowboy, mm-hmm. and Alec Baldwin laughs. Uh, and he says, you speak Russian. And he says, it's um, <clears throat> and, uh, in Russian, Alec Baldwin responds, it's wise to understand the ways of one's adversary. Um, and uh, in English, uh, Sean Connery says, it is. And uh, it's just a really cool moment where you learn both of these guys uh, speak the other one's language. They get an Im- immediate connection because of that. And, uh, uh, oh, you're there's you're deeper than I thought you were. Um, I just love that moment so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just another movie. I, I think uh, if, if Jeremy and I had uh, 
you know, a shared uh, movie library uh, that we've seen a million times. Hunt for October and Sneakers would be, you know, would be in that, you know, whatever Venn diagram there it would yeah. be we, with that. We've well worn those movies out because I used to have those on VHS. Oh and, yeah, um, I would used to. I used to watch those all the time. Those were just movies that are just always great. And there's nothing. There's. I don't think there's anything bad about them at all. Um, that you know, we we did do a sin. We did a sins video on Hunt for Red October, uh, but it was one of those where I, you know, where I was like, man, this movie's so good. I don't really care what I find in this thing. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter at all. It's still perfect. Uh, um, it- I was going to say, by way of interesting, not interesting um, thing I've been thinking about lately, like three of my favorite 80s movies that are in this category you're talking about, where I've seen them maybe a hundred times each, Field of Dreams, Hunt for Red October, and The Untouchables. Um, and what's yeah. weird about that is that Kevin Costner and Sean Connery and James Earl Jones are each in two of those movies. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it it kind of reminds I was just going to say, by way of segue, uh, Field of Dreams has a moment I love, a small moment when he takes... James Earl Jones to the baseball game. And he says, yeah. so what do you want? And uh, James Earl Jones goes on this mini rant. I want them to leave me alone. I want them to think for themselves. I want them to look to somebody else. And, and Costner's like, no, I meant, what do you want? And he gestures at the at the concession stand and just instantly, with no thought whatsoever, James Earl Jones goes right back into ballpark mode and goes, dog and a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me that, you know, you, you mentioned this trifecta of, of movies that just happen to have, you know, actors that are shared or whatever. Uh, there, there's a year that always I always come back to on this. In 1995, there was this odd trifecta of movies that had one or the other of Gene Hackman, Denzel Washington, and Russell Crowe in it. Oh. Uh, where you had, uh, in you know, Crimson Tide came out, you had Hackman and Washington in it. And then Virtuosity came out, and you had Washington and Crowe in it. And you had The Quick and the Dead which had Hackman and Crow in it. Nice. Um, it's, it's one of those, it was one of those fun things of about a year that when, you know, by the time it was over, I was like, yeah, it's kind of a, that's kind of a fun thing to think about. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, I have another, uh, you know, you mentioned Alec Baldwin and all that. Uh, have, have you guys seen state in Maine? Oh, I love yeah. state in Maine. Yeah. yeah. State in Maine is uh, written and directed by David Mamet. And mm. we, we went in detail about Glengarry Glenn Ross earlier in uh, the last podcast. Um, but state in Maine's another one of those. And it's one, it's a great, it's such a funny movie. And there's two moments in there, uh, that, uh, that always make me laugh. It doesn't matter if I know what's coming, but so state in Maine's about a movie is a movie where the small crew comes to, um, film a movie and everything. And so the, the beginning of the movie is, uh, that, uh, you know, you see Philip Seymour Hoffman's the writer and you have David Pamer as a producer and all that. And they're, they're having this argument because there's too much, um, there's, there's, they're trying to figure out how to make this movie within budget and all that other type of stuff. They're like, we're really going to have to take out the old mill out of this, out of the screenplay. And, uh, and they're, and they're trying to, they're debating on it and like, yeah, this town doesn't have an old mill. And uh, all this other type of stuff. And, and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, no, no, we got to keep the old mill in. We got to keep the old mill in. And, uh, and so like, no, no, you're just going to have to rewrite it where the old mill's not in it. And he's like, okay. So you see <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's just, he's got this look on his face like, oh God, I can't believe I have to rewrite this. So he puts the, he, he puts the screenplay on the wall and he, and the title of the movie is called the old mill. <laughs> <laughs> I love him in that movie. He's so downtrodden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's it's uh, you know Philip Seymour Hoffman had that like stretch where it seemed like he was always playing these types of characters, but but in this one, it's particularly effective. Um, uh, State Maine also has that scene where Alec Baldwin, uh, you know, Julia Stiles plays like this jailbait. Uh, is she an actress in the movie? I no, can't she's a wait- waitress. Her dad owns a cafe. Yeah, and she delivers. A- yeah, she's a waitress, and like, uh, and so she's she starts fancying Alec Baldwin, and uh, and so there's a there's a point where um, they I guess they're drunk or they've been taking drugs or something like that, and they get in the car, and uh, and she crashes the car. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh and and Alec Baldwin gets out immediately after the wreck and goes and so that happened <laughs> 
favorite part. <laughs> it's such a funny movie, man. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's just uh, it's just one of those. It's uh, I, yeah. I mean, it's funny throughout. I mean, there's a lot of great things in it too. So, I mean, if you haven't seen State in Maine, go and watch that. There's a moment earlier in the movie when they're worried about him, and somebody says, "What does he like?" And somebody's like, "He likes 14 year old girls." It's like, "Well, get him something else." <laughs> <laughs> It's such a great movie. This is not a surprising one, um, but I wanted to talk about um, The Incredibles. And Mm -hmm. specifically, and I don't think this is the first time we've said this, but uh, when Dash is running away from the bad guys and onto the water and realizes that he can run on water and starts giggling to himself. It's one of the purest moments that, and it's, it's not, I mean, I know everybody who likes that movie probably likes that moment, but I feel like that defines the movie in a way uh, that no other single moment does. Just the, the the pure joy of realizing what he can do. Um, I just I love it so much. It's one of my favorite movies ever, and I could probably name a dozen moments, but that's my very favorite one. It's sort of the it, it, that movie so anti what the Fantastic Four movies are, um, and and I and I'll go back to the older ones on this, um, and it may have been like this in the comic book, but you like seeing that pure moment of joy when somebody realizes what kind of powers they have. It's kind of like in Spider-Man when he first learns what he can do in that. And, um, in Fantastic Four, it's so dour. Like, they're like, we got to do something about this. We've got to get cured and all this other type of stuff. And I, I never liked that about those Fantastic Four movies is that, is that, yeah, I mean, I guess you would want to get a cure and you want to find, you want to get a normal life again, but there's so many cool things you can do. Yeah, and the only, and the only person who like really embraces it is Johnny Storm or whatever, or whatever. Yeah. Not to, not to shit on your point, but basically it's interesting that the only one that played it to where he was enjoying this and that he, he was actually going to make something out of it was the guy that ended up having a super career being a superhero, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not like Ian Gruffold is, you know, lighting up the box office or anything. Hey, now there's now there's going to be at least two Ian Gruffold fans that contact you. <laughs> <laughs> question. I have a question. Just one more thing. I want the truth. I know more than you. I, th- I think this one will be fun because we're old. Uh, but they wanted to know what our favorite video games were from our youth. Okay. And, uh, you're, you know, I'll start. I, you're talking to somebody who had a, had Pong and, <laughs> and then wow. an Atari. Um, and so I, I remember Pitfall being in the Atari age, the game yeah. I played the very most. Um, and I sucked at it, but I loved it so much. Um, so that was definitely one of my favorite from my childhood. And I, I don't think any version they've made since to try and revive it has recaptured what made that first one great. Um, I had, I had an Atari 2600 and, uh, and I'm, I'm one of the few maybe who played ET, the extraterrestrial. Um, <laughs> um, when I was probably five or six years old, let's see, ET came out in 82. And I think the game probably came out the following year or whatever. Um, and I'm not going to tell you this was my favorite game, but but at six years old, I didn't know how bad that game was. I really enjoyed it. ET <laughs> was in it, um, and um, so the but yeah, Atari Twenty Six Hundred I had. But the the games that I remember the most were um, I played a lot of Commodore Sixty Four in the eighties, and then yeah. the Sega Genesis. I didn't have an NES like everybody else in the entire world uh, had. But I had Sega Genesis, and I played Fantasy Star 2 a lot. It was one of my favorite games. Um, uh, what else was on it? Revenge of Shinobi was another great one. Um, uh, a friend of mine had an SNES, and I used to play the hell out of Super Castlevania 4. Nice. Um, <laughs> mainly because that the game was so good, but it also had one of the best uh, soundtracks I've ever uh, experienced in a game before um it's something that i'll still go to youtube and every once in a while i'll try to find the music from that game and listen to it um and uh and also on the snes there was a game called act razor where you had uh it was basically a a hybrid of uh sort of a populace type of game where you would set up a, a community and everything but once you um set up that community and everything you could go into a side scrolling action uh, game and I can't remember the gateway between those two 
uh, uh, very very different kinds of gameplay or whatever. But Act Razor was really fun. On the SNES, um, we played the hell out of the Bomberman games. Yeah, um, mm. and it might have even been Super Bomberman. But um, golly, in college, we lived in a suite with six guys next door to another suite with six guys, and all twelve of us would party play that game and just pass the controllers around as you lose. And I think we probably spent, if you add up all the hours, probably spent a year playing that game. <laughs> wow. That was an SNES? Yeah, well, I'm sure there were Bomberman games on other systems, but that we were playing on the SNES. Well, you mentioned, you know, college days and, and passing things around. Well, passing things around. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, you know, obviously the Nintendo 64 was, was the, the baseline for, for these huge multiplayers at the time, huge four controllers and everything. And of course, the, the ground zero for it was Goldeneye. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, which is what I played the crap out of, <clears throat> along with uh, Mario Kart. And you could just go, you could look up, and there's been 16 hours that have passed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Goldeneye yeah. is another one of those great party games, right? We're past the controller games. It's everybody, you can have fun watching other people play that game. Yeah. You know, yeah. I in the, in the 80s, uh, I used to always gravitate uh, to these. Um, RPG uh, games that were, I don't know how to really describe them. I guess they were text-based games, but they were, they had some graphics, except for Zork, of course. I used to play Zork a bunch. It didn't have any graphics. It was just text. Um, and, you know, you just tell, you tell the computer where you want to do. You want to go east, west, north. Do you want to pick this thing up? Do you want to die? Whatever. <laughs> These um, are simpler times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but there were a lot of other games that came out after that that would have some graphics. And I remember one they used to play a lot of, and and a lot of these games, I don't think I ever finished them. Um, I, I ended up finishing Zork because I found a like a cheap thing uh, later in life, and I was like, I'm just going to beat this game because I want to see what happens at the end of it because I we couldn't we got only so far, but Fahrenheit 451 had a game based on it, which is really, really strange, right? Wow. Um, and it was an RPG type of game, text-based game or whatever, where you're Guy Montag and you go around and... Do you and want to burn the books? Yeah, well, there's the there's actually... Um, it was on Atari? No, it was on Commodore 64. Uh, I believe a, a company called Trillium made it. Um, but, uh, but it, it had these three panels of graphics and, you know, you, most of the time going through the game, it would see the, you know, you'd see the uh, facade of one building, then the street, then the facade of another building. And it was one of those things where it was like, you know, like you'd be put in something simple, like cross the street. And it would be like, insert disc B into drive you <laughs> <laughs> And you'd have like four floppy disks of this game that you can probably put on like a thimble now. Um, <laughs> the uh, it, and, and it was incredibly fun to me for some reason. I can't really explain why. But it, I mean, uh, you know, it, it was it was such an unusual game. And I've actually tried to look it up on Google or whatever. And I think it's so obscure that. And, you know, there's hardly anything about it anymore, but it was a game I played a lot. Um, I, and on Commodore 64, I think, is where I fell in love with the game Gauntlet. Was that on that system? Um, it was on a lot of systems, actually. Um, I think Gauntlet was on everything pretty okay. much by the I time it was over. I Gauntlet for years. And um, another one, if you want to talk about these, the text or mostly text games, was I think we all played it, was the Oregon Trail. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we played that in school. Um and we also played uh, that Apple IIe game with the green graphics of two castles on either side, and you have to shoot these lion missiles and try and gauge the wind. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, man. No, I don't think I ever played that. It was supposed to like teach you, I guess, math or something. I don't know. It was, we, played, <laughs> we played it you know, for fun. Like Even when we weren't in that class, we would like study hall we'd go play that game yeah and 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 there were a whole bunch of games like on pcs back in the day that i didn't really get to play that much but um that you know they started getting better with graphics and stuff like that there was a lot of these you know first off i had a friend that used to play leisure suit larry a lot they had a lot of those those you know the porno games or whatever uh they weren't like super like ridiculous in their porno or whatever but 
Um, but they, they were the same. They were all the same type of deal where you would be in a room and you have to find items and they're basically solving puzzles and everything. Um, Leisure Suit Larry and Police Quest and King's Quest and all these, all those. But the one that I played the most was Gabriel Knight, which had um, uh, Tim Curry as the voice of the of Gabriel Knight. Um, and, uh, the first one was about voodoo and new Orleans and stuff like that. And it was a really fun game. Um, they came out with, uh, sequels later that weren't nearly as good. Uh, uh, like the second one was tried to be like more, they tried to put in some more like cinematic cuts and stuff. And it wasn't Tim Curry playing Gabriel Knight anymore. It was like some other like low rent Z rent actor or whatever, uh, playing Gabriel Knight. And it's like, everything was just wrong. If you played the first move, you played the first game or whatever. It was just, everything was wrong about it. What? It was David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> yeah. It was David Hyde Pierce. And hey, early, early role. David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> yeah. Pre- I don't know why I thought of David Hyde Pierce yeah. as a discount. Pre Fraser <laughs> days, he was playing Gabriel Knight. I guess it's because I watched Wolf last night and he was on that. <laughs> yeah, he's in there. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, uh, this is the Sincast. We're here every Monday. Uh, for, uh, signing off, this is Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Chair. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out Cinema Sins on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. That'd make a great band name. Cavernous yeah. Vagina. Cavernous Vagina. <laughs> We're a cavernous vagina! <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music would they play? Uh, prog rock. Yeah, it would have to be prog rock. <laughs> and there would be like, a, they, they come out with a concept album that has like eight parts. You know, it's like... Uh, I don't know. Cavernous Virginia part one. <laughs> did you say Virginia? <laughs> yes, I did. Cavernous Virginia. Cavernous, <laughs> cavernous Virginia. <laughs> and you see Dap go, eyes? <laughs> <laughs> we may edit that one out. <laughs> When the maid walks in and it's like a, there's like a, just uh, the, the, the room is just trash and, um, and, uh, and, and Depp comes in there with a gun and everything. And she's like, she's like, don't shoot me. I hate drugs. And he goes, so do we. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. We did it. That was a good one.